All right. Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. I got a question. Y'all, some of y'all are familiar with this picture up here. I don't know. Anybody been keeping up? Anybody know who these four guys are? We got a few. Can name all four of them? Y'all are good. Y'all been watching a lot of TV, haven't you? All right. It, all right. So, if you don't know, if you're like me, I'd maybe saw these guys. But anyway, they're on this popular game show for some of your young ones. They might not know, but they, they call it Jeopardy. That help a little bit? Anybody ever heard of that one? This week, and I don't know the last few weeks, I hadn't kept up with it real good. But anyway, they've been going through this GOAT tournament. Is that what someone's called it? The greatest of all time tournament of Jeopardy. And so you see here a picture of, of these four guys. Alex Trebek, he's the host. And then you got James Holhauer. Is that how you say it? All right. Ken Jennings and Brad Rudder, if they're listening, I'm sorry if I butchered your names. But they're they're famous people on the show at Jeopardy, okay? And so these guys have won millions. I mean millions, am I right? Somewhere in, I heard one that said four-something million and just on this one game show over the last few years. So they brought them back, been having this tournament this week, see who is the greatest. And um, so the whole thing is crazy, but they get all this, they're, they're, they've won all this money just by answering questions with a question. And so I kind of thought about this, but, I mean, they know a lot of stuff. And I thought it was cool. I think one of their questions they said the other night was, what was like the, the first, what was it, six words or something in John 1-1? And so I thought that's pretty cool. I mean, they, they're sharing the gospel and didn't even know it. So uh, praise God for those opportunities when God allows for that even in, in our secular world. So I hope and pray that he's continuing to use that. But anyway, Jeopardy is just a classic game. Uh, with a little bit of a twist, and if you know much about it, or maybe you don't. But anyway, the answers are given first, and then the contestants supply the questions. And it's kind of different from what we would think about. But as I thought about our text this morning, God led me this this chapter and some passages here. I thought it kind of similar that Mark kind of does the same thing throughout his gospel. And if you see there, we're going to be in Mark chapter eight. If you got your Bibles, you want to turn, be following along. We're going to be there. But Mark starts his gospel in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And he gives us the answer. It's kind of like Jeopardy. Alex Trebek, he gives the answer there. And they give an answer with a question. And so here, Mark does the same thing. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you study much, you know anything, or heard, or been in church, you've probably heard that word gospel before. And it's just simply uh, good news. There's translated good news. It comes from the Greek word euangelon. And so when we think about that, that's where we get our word evangelism from. And so here we're seeing the beginning or the gospel, the good news and evangelism of who? Of Jesus Christ. And so it's an interesting point. And I thought about that when we see this and you can read throughout the rest of the Bible. Here Mark makes a, a statement, a bold statement. It says it's the beginning, but we never read about the end of the good news of Jesus Christ, do we? And I thought about that, man. We have great news to share. God has never said that there's an ending to that great news. It's good news for all people, for all time. And so are we proclaiming that? And we're going to look into that just a little bit more here in a minute. And Mark here, he makes this announcement of who Jesus is. He makes up front. He makes it clear. He don't want any doubt or confusion about who Jesus is. And if you look for our English teachers and our school people, uh, Look at that. There's no verbs, is there? It's just 12 simple words. It just makes a statement. It makes an announcement. It don't share anything about what Jesus is doing, what he's going to do. It just simply simply states the facts about who he is. 
And, and it, it shows us here, again, about just who he is. He talks about Jesus Christ. If you look back in Hebrew in the Old, uh, in the Old Testament, it talks about Joshua, the name, and it's kind of similar there. And it, it's saying that God saves, or Yahweh, that word Joshua, Yahweh, or Yahweh, God saves. So again, here it's proclaiming that Jesus, again, here is God in the flesh, the Son of God, he has come. And Mark makes that profound statement. He just wants us to simply know the facts about who Jesus is. He don't want any confusion for us today or the readers or those folks back then. And it's kind of interesting. This is um, the only statement that Mark makes from his own perspective, from his own thoughts. The rest of it we're going to read, and all the rest of that book is just simply Mark writing down what others saw, Peter, and specifically, and writing down those eyewitness accounts about Jesus' life, about his ministry, the things that he did. And then he presents the question about who do you say that he is. And we're going to see that here in a minute. Mark carefully arranges all these accounts just to present the facts of the life, the ministry, the miracles, and teachings of Jesus so that the readers can draw their own conclusion about who Jesus is. And we're going to see that here in a few minutes. But our title up there a while ago, but who do you say that I am? And again, he asked the readers and he asked you and I today to wrestle with that. Who do we say Jesus is? Not with just our speech, but our lives. And then we have to respond in that. Are we doing that? So that's where I want us to look at today. And Mark puts it simple that Jesus' actions, again, he just calls us to respond to who he is. He presents it and lets it for us. Uh, Mark chapter 1 through 8, just a quick summary. All this kind of cool stuff. If you like action, you may hear like action movies, action books. Yeah, read Mark, okay? There's not a whole lot of fluff and stuff going on in here. He just simply tells you what's going on, okay? And it's it's a really in, interesting read. I mean, there's some pretty cool stuff in here. Jesus is kind of flexing his muscles here, his mighty muscles. We see lots of things and healings. Unclean spirits, man, he's taking those away. Cleansing the leper, uh, healing a paralytic. He's got calming the storms. He's healing the demoniac, uh, bringing the dead girl back to life. I mean, there's lots of cool stuff happening. Man, people can't explain. They're seeing it, but they can't explain all that's happening. They know something's different about this guy. And so he displays for all those people and for all us today, man, just that he is over demons, he's over disease, and he's over death. Amen. Praise God. He's over death. There's something different about this guy. And these people are still not getting it. And so I want us to see today kind of marks, again, just his writing here. And I want us to wrestle with that. One part that's pretty cool, I think it's in Mark chapter 2. One of the great healings that he does, one of the greatest healings that he ever has done. He exclaims, his son, your sins are forgiven. And that's the greatest work that Jesus Christ ever done. And that is a work that only God can do. Again, just Him validating who He is. God in the flesh come to be with us. So, we're going to move on real quick and we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 8, um, verse 22. And it's an interesting story. And this one is kind of preparing us for where I want us to focus. And I want you guys to, again, wrestle with and respond today about who do you say that Jesus is. Mark chapter 8 verse 22 he says and they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him he asked him do you see anything and he looked up and said I see people but they look like trees walking 
And so we kind of look at that and we recognize that, all right, so this guy's probably had something happen throughout his life that caused this blindness because he recognizes what trees look like, what people look like. And so he's, he's picking up a little bit, but he's not seeing real clear. In verse 25, then Jesus laid his hands on him again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Now I thought it was interesting. Most of the time when we read uh, Jesus' miracles and we see this in Mark's account here this one time, we see it in a two-stage healing. And again, as we read through this today, you're going to kind of recognize kind of why he's given this particular account. He shows it as a progressive healing. And it's not just about his physical healing here. Mark is helping us to understand about our spiritual healing. The clarity that Jesus brings and helps us to grow in our, our walk with him. It's interesting here that he makes that statement that only Jesus was able to heal him. They bring him to him. They know it. And they bring him to him for that healing. Just as Jesus Jesus is the only one can heal us from our spiritual state that we're in. Amen. We need him. And so Mark wants us to know that. And Mark, again, he helps us to understand that it's a continual walk with the Lord. And we're going to see that here in a few minutes about just the importance of discipleship. And we're going to see that the disciples, they don't get it either. I mean, let's be honest that we're in the same boat a lot of times as them. They're, they've spent the last two years. At this point, we're roughly about a year away from the cross. Jesus is about a year away from his crucifixion. And so these guys have been walking with him and seeing this. The crowds have been seeing it. And they've spent some time with him. They've seen a lot of things happen. The Bible talks about we don't even have all the accounts of what he's done. Man, they've seen a lot of stuff, but they still don't get it. And I think a lot of times we're there. But I want us again, if you've got your bulletins, and I think some uh, last week we had some main points and main ideas and different things. So the big ideas I want you to see here is discipleship. Man, he's going to teach us today what discipleship looks like. Uh, our individual need to be discipled and our individual responsibility to also to disciple others. And so if you'll think about that word, man, just discipleship, it's talking about a learner. It's just a follower of Jesus Christ, learning what it looks like, continually learning and helping others to learn about Jesus. And so he gives us this account here in Mark chapter 8, 22 through 26. Again, just that blind man and his his spiritual healing, his physical healing, but his spiritual healing. And again, he's pointing to what the disciples are needing. And we pick up, and this is where our main thrust I want us to see today. Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 30. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And so we think about that when we look, and again, as discipleship is kind of our main thrust, our main point today, look at that. Jesus went on with his disciples. Now, Jesus, man, he could have went and done all kinds of different things. He was a busy man. He had lots of people and lots of agendas that people needed done, and he could have went away from them, but he didn't. He chose to simply do life with these guys. And so just a call for us as Christians today, as a church, as Greensburg Baptist, are we walking with the people God has placed in our lives, or are we just simply just going about our day? Jesus could have went on and done lots of things. Man, I'm tired. I want to get away from these people. They're annoying me. They don't get it. But he didn't. He spent time simply doing life with them, walking with them. He went on with his disciples. And so, again, just that need. And these people, they recognized him. They recognized that he was special, but they still don't get it. 
And Jesus asked them that question, who do people say that I am? Now he don't, he's not confused. He's not asking to see what is really going on, what people's thoughts are. He already knows that. He knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. He knows our minds. But he wants the disciples here to see what's going on. He wants them really to see their own spiritual blindness. And in verse 28, he says, and, he, and they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And again, here they've, they've been a long time waiting for Jesus. You know, there's about 400 years in there that's passed. John the Baptist comes on scene and starts proclaiming that Jesus is coming, the Lamb of God. But man, they've been looking and waiting for a long time. And they're a little bit confused. And I think we get like that at times. We get confused about who Jesus is and what he's here, what he came for. In verse 29, he gets real specific. And he goes individually with these guys. He says, he asks them, but who do you say that I am? Again, he brings out that personal question. Who do you say that I am? He wants to be real specific. And he's asking the very same question to us today. Who do you say that I am? And he waits for a response. And Peter, man, Peter's always ready to give a response. I like Peter. He's a little bit gung-ho, and sometimes he's like me, just sort of keep his foot in his shoe and not in his mouth. And he inserts it here. And it sounds real good at first. He gives the right answer. I mean, verbally, he says, yeah, you are the Christ. I mean, he knows. He knows he is the anointed one. But again, they're here in a difficult time in life. It sounds really good. It makes the right statement. But again, they're under the Roman oppression. And man, they know what hard times are. There's some difficult things that are going on. And they're looking for an earthly king. Somebody who can bring them out of that situation. Who can lead them and be their leader. And man, get them out of those hard times. And that's what they're looking for. And they're looking with temporary or earthly eyes. They're not seeing who Jesus really is. And so he helps them. But he gives them. And again, Peter here, he answers. But then Jesus says, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now I thought, man, why in the world would he do that? I thought we were supposed to be out proclaiming who Jesus is. These are the guys that's been walking with him, talking with him, hearing. Man, they, they should be the ones that should be out telling, right? They've had eyewitness accounts. Why in the world would Jesus tell them, don't be out telling anybody about me? I believe it's because they had their own perspective. They didn't have a clear message about who Jesus was. They was going to give a false testimony about him. They was just going to share, man, have you seen this guy? He's been doing lots of cool stuff. You need to come over and see what he can do for you. And listen, I want you to understand here, it is not about what Christ can do for you. It's about what already Christ has already done for you. I think at times we get hung up about preaching a prosperity gospel, about how good Jesus is, and he is. I don't want to downplay that at all. Jesus, man, he is good to us. But he never promised us, or he never promised these disciples that he was going to take away all the pain or hurt and struggles. But he did tell us about who he is. And we're going to see that here in a second, about who really Jesus is. And again, that's why you don't want them out proclaiming that. He wants them to understand. Man, you need to get the story straight before you go out and sharing. Because they don't need a misunderstanding about who Jesus is. And we need to be clear today about who Jesus is. We don't need to be falsely proclaiming that he can take away everybody's problems. He don't. But he does say he will be with us during those things. So again, they go on from there. Mark chapter 8, verse 31, we pick up, and Jesus begins to teach them a little bit here. 
He begins to tell them, okay? He's been showing them, but now he's going to tell them really why he's came. And he began to teach them. This is different than anything he's been proclaiming before. That the Son of God must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Praise God, he's not there. He died, but he's not there now. And we're going to find out a little bit more. But anyway, he comes. And again, if you'll think back to that, it sounds harsh. Jesus is giving them. He's like, man, you're not getting it. I didn't come to be your earthly king. I come to die. I come to suffer. I came to die in your place and be rejected. But I'm going to be I'm going to be raised again. And that thing, man, must suffer. If you'll look back. I didn't write it down, don't have it up on the screen, but Matthew chapter 26, write it down on your, on your margin or whatever, but verse 39, he must die. And we talk about that and you'll look back right there in the garden, Jesus is praying the night of his arrest before his crucifixion. He says in verse 39, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This whole thing about he must suffer, friends, there is no other way. There is no other way for us to be reunited with God one day to have eternal life except through that. And that's what Jesus here wants these guys to know and he wants us to know. Man, he has to suffer. There is no other way. Read back in Isaiah chapter 53. Again, Brother Blake, he's preached on Isaiah there for a while. He touched on this and hit this. But again, write this down in your margin. Go back and read the whole, the whole passage there, the whole chapter sometime. But verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquitted with grief, or acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and he was esteemed. Or we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Does that make a little more sense now why the Son of Man must suffer many things? Man, just continue to read. I encourage you to go home this evening and read Isaiah 53 to understand about Jesus' suffering there. And he did it for us. Read the account there on the cross, what he, what he took for us. And he had to do that. He had to be killed. And on the third day, he had to be raised again for us. Not for his own sins. He was standing in our place so that we wouldn't have to bear those sins. That you and I wouldn't have to bear those sins for eternity. He took that shame. He took that pain. took that grief. He took God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to. It says he must suffer many things. And he did that. And he goes on in verse 32. And he said this plainly. Now we struggle with this but he didn't want any question amongst his readers amongst his disciples amongst the crowd here he don't want any question he wants it to be plain to him why Jesus came 
And Peter took him aside. Again, here, Peter, he rushes in, man. He's ready to speak. He took him aside and began to rebuke him. Not a good idea, right? This is God in the flesh. He knows what's going on. But Peter, again, he's looking through some worldly eyes. But verse 33, But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Again, how many times do we do that? And we just go through a day focused on the things of earth. I admit I do that. It's easy. We get in a rush. We get busy. I mean, we got a lot of things we want to do and get done. But here again, Peter, he misses it. And, he, and Jesus rebukes him. He does that again to help help him understand, but also these the other disciples, they're watching, and he wants to get their attention again for them to understand really who he is. And we move on there in verse eight, or chapter eight, verse thirty-four. And again, we want to see kind of what it looks like to really follow Jesus, to disciple and to be disciple. And Jesus gives us that answer here. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And again, as we think about discipleship, look back at that and calling the crowd to him. That's what Jesus does. He just continues to pour into these guys and call them back to him. Now, he could have just went with his disciples and said, man, that crowd's too big. I ain't got time to fool with them. But he doesn't. Jesus calls all people. He's not going to exclude. All right, He's calling all people. He wants all people to come to him. And he still does today. He wants all people. The only exclusion he does is when people deny him. That's what he's talking about here, to, to focus on this life here and not the eternal so he goes on here and he talks about, again, just whoever loses his life to be sold out, to be fully committed to Christ. And I thought it was interesting as I read through this and studied, uh, Jesus continues with his disciples. Again, by this point in the crowd, they, they're still not getting it. Uh, at this point, I would have probably given up. And I'll just be honest. I get aggravated and annoyed at times when I think, man, I've shared. I've poured into these people and, man, they're still not responding. I don't know about you, but I get like that at times. I'll just be honest. But he gives us a great reminder here of his patience. God's patience with us. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, I believe Peter, as he's thinking here, as he's writing Second Peter chapter 3, he's probably thinking back, to some of these accounts, man, he just didn't get it right. And he looks back and then he's just, he's just overwhelmed by God's patience. And he thinks about his great love for him. And God desires us to come to him. And the good news is when we do, and we see that throughout this text, when we do, he'll reveal more of himself to us. And that's the good news and the reminder. Man, it's about a relationship. It's not just about our, our verbal confession. It's about spending time with the Lord and growing and learning who he is and who he's called us to be. 
So, what does that look like for us to come after Jesus, to follow Him? Look back here in chapter 34, and He tells us. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He gives us three ways. He talks about that desire first and foremost. He says, if anyone would come after me. If you got a Christian standard uh, Bible, I think it says in there, if anyone wants to follow me. And it indicates just the desire here in our hearts. It's making an internal decision. Being resolved or being determined to follow after Jesus. I think Paul talks about it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 2. He says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Man, he had made that decision internally. But he also acted on it. And the sad part is, I heard a guy say this the other day and it broke my heart. But he said, this, there are going to be lots of people in hell who desired to follow Jesus but never committed to do so. Let me repeat that. There are going to be lots of people in hell who desired to follow Jesus but never committed to do so. How sad that is. And the disciples give us a picture of that. That blind man that Jesus healed, he saw somewhat clear, but he didn't get it right first off. They didn't get it right first off. But man, they grew in understanding of of the knowledge of grace of who Jesus Christ was. And we see that by their lives. You want to read and see when they got it, man. Read through Acts and see those guys got it. They give everything for him. This is not what biblical salvation is talking about. Just not making a verbal confession. Guys, that is not what the Bible teaches. Salvation is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you today, do you have that relationship? It's more than just confessing Him. It's living it, man. It's a heart transformation. So I want to ask you today, have you made that decision? Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? How do you answer? But then He moves on and He tells us what it looks like to move past that desire and then to put it into action. So how do we act on our desire? He says, let Him deny Himself. Again, that's putting Jesus first and us second. That is hard. I don't understand that. I don't get it all right. There are lots of things, and I'll just be honest with you this morning, thinking about time, there's lots of things that I want to do. I love to ride horses. I do. I love to ride a good horse. I even like to ride a bad horse every once in a while just because it's riding a horse. I love it. But there's times when, man, God just says, I need you to do something else. And I don't like those answers all the time. And sometimes it's even good things. Last night I was preparing. I thought, man, I'd like to be upstairs. I could hear the kids running and playing. I think, man, I'd love to be up there with them. But sometimes, man, it's just putting self second. That's what he's talking about here, denying ourselves. Then he says to take up your cross. Take up his cross. That's an action statement. That's moving past that desire, taking up our cross. And we need not to ever cheapen this statement, cheapen that, that understanding. A lot of times we think, man, that's just, I've got some things going on in my life, and man, it's hard. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being fully committed, giving everything for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And you read Peter and them's account, man, that's exactly what the disciples did. They gave everything. I heard a little illustration one time. He was talking about the cross, what it looks like to take up your cross. It says someone on the cross shows that they're at the end of themselves. Someone on the cross no longer is in control of their lives. They are not calling the shots anymore. Somebody else is making their decisions for them. 
Someone on the cross has no further plans. Someone at the cross is at the mercy of someone else. Total submission. And we see that. And that's what God is calling us to do. Total submission. Take up your cross. And he goes on there and he says to follow me. Simply learning from Jesus' life and his example and doing like so. Jesus goes on a little bit further over in Mark chapter 10 verse 45. Write that one in your margin. Look it up. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Man, that's a picture and display of what he calls us to do, to follow him. Again, just to serve, putting others first. Man, think about the needs in our community. We talked about that and we prayed about that a while ago. It's time for action. Let's move. Let's meet needs. Let's follow him. Let's be the hands and feet of Christ and love on our community this week. Putting others first, following Jesus and his example. Bobby asked me a while ago how long I was going to be, so I told him I had about this much stuff to put in this much space. So I want to close. There, there's a whole lot more in here I'd love to share with you. But I want us to see three quick things. So where do we go with this? Where do we go with discipleship? How do we do this? Again, I believe this whole section, again, is just pointing at discipleship. It shows spiritual immaturity of the disciples in the crowd. And if we're honest, we're all really spiritually immature. There's some, man, I praise God for the folks in here that are learning and growing. And then they're growing and helping others to grow. And so I want to encourage you this morning to look around. We are blessed here with spiritual mature folks in our congregation. And they're excited to help you grow and learn. And so I want us to see that this morning, look around, and I want you to be connected. How can you get connected in our church? God has blessed us with mature believers here. And uh, so one of the ways um, I believe you can get plugged in is just our discipleship. On Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, Brother Blake and Brother Todd have been sharing about their studies. And man, I hate uh, Wednesday night. I missed out on some of that stuff. And we, we had a great time with our youth, but they're pouring into our adults. So if you're here tonight and you're not currently serving somewhere, let me encourage you to get plugged in Sunday nights and Wednesday nights with these guys that will pour into you and disciple. And not just them, but the other folks in that room. You're going to learn and grow from each other. That's what Bible discipleship looks like, learning from each other. Youth and young people. I want to brag on them. They, a lot of these guys have got it. And we are blessed with young people here in this room that will go out this week and will disciple other people, showing them what it looks like to live for Jesus. Not just telling them. They'll do that. They're sharing their faith. But they're also living it out. And young people, I want to brag on you guys. And specifically, I want to brag on our Sunday school teachers. Man, they're doing that. They're pouring into us each and every week. I want to brag on our Sunday school teachers. I think we've got some of the best ones. I got my wife, she pours into us all the time. And uh, Brother Ronald, sorry, I got to throw out a pitch for them. If you're not currently in Sunday school, let me encourage you to get there. These guys put in numerous hours a week studying the Word of God. Our class and many of the other classes are currently working through the Gospel Project material. And man, it's simple. It's simple enough I can understand it. It's got three points. It's got a Christ connection. Every lesson points you back to Jesus Christ. And so, man, come and get involved. Old Testament, New Testament, they're walking through all that. Ezra this morning. Come and get involved. See how it points to Jesus Christ. So we can go out into the world and answer these questions about what people have. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? We can help them to understand that. (laughs) 
So again, get involved. Second thing I want you to have, gospel conversations this year. And Brother Todd has been pouring into us about who's your one. How about 20? How about 20 people in 2020 to share the gospel with? Wouldn't it be awesome to see, have gospel conversations with 20 people this year, being intentional to share with them? Heard some statistics, said there's over 6,000 people groups in the world today that have little to no access to the gospel. 6,000 people groups, roughly about 3 billion people, almost half of the world has no access to the gospel, or very little. So when you ask them who Jesus Christ is, they're probably going to look at you like, I don't know. Where are they going to spend eternity at? Guys, we've got to wrestle with this. We've got to share the gospel with people. Have gospel conversations with people this year. And third and final, personally, Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? He asked them first who the people around him was saying they were, who he was. But then he asked us personally, who do you say that I am? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior and Lord? Jesus wanted people to have no doubt about who he is. He came, he suffered on the cross. I mean, he suffered really throughout his life. He was rejected and shunned, mocked, mistreated. But then you come to the cross, and man, he, he bore our sins on there. He bled and died in your place. Not just for you, but instead of you. He bled and died in your place so that you could have eternal life through Him. So I just want to ask you this morning, as the musicians come, I want to ask you the same question this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is He your Savior and is He your Lord? And then I want to ask you, are you verbally sharing that? And then I want to ask you, is your life proclaiming that? These guys said it and it sounded real good, but I think he calls us for more than that. He calls us to live it out. So let me ask you today, are you doing that? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, God, for your word and just a continual reminder, God, of who you are. You came and you did great and mighty things and miracles and wonders and signs. And man, we don't even know all that you did. But God, we have testimony and proof of those things. But God, ultimately, and the greatest miracle you ever did was on the cross. And God, you stood in our place and you took our sin. You bore our shame. God, that we could have eternal life. God, you suffered and was killed. God, praise God that you're not there now. You're a resurrected Savior and you're seated at the right hand of the Father. And you're drawing people this morning. God, I pray that they'll respond. God, I pray that they'll cry out, what must I do to be saved? God, thank you for the truth of your word. God, may we proclaim that to the world as us. God, we love you and we thank you. Do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. 
In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.